Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Here today, we're launching a new series, but I don't want you to think of what we're going into today as a new series. We really believe that, that God is uh, bringing us into a new season. Everybody say season. Now, when you say season, we, we, don't, we don't go from season to season in the sense of like we check the box on this season and we move into the next season and then we check that box and we move on. We don't live from season to season. We live from glory to glory. So what we do as followers of Christ is we build upon every season. So we've really felt like there's been a stirring in my heart all summer just about what God's going to be doing this fall. And we really feel like that... Um, this series is really just about that, about us developing a, 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 a relationship, a deeper relationship with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Y'all going to have to do better today or it's going to be like 2 o'clock before you get out. And so we're, we're really, yeah, amen. Okay, so, uh, so really what we believe is that, that God wants us to really, you know, have this deep connection with the Holy Spirit. Many times we talk about pursuing the Holy Spirit. Uh, people start getting a little uncomfortable. They kind of start freaking out. Oh, what does that mean? Like the Holy Spirit, uh, I don't really know. Or we say Holy Ghost. Well, I don't want no ghost, you know. So what we tend to do in modern church is that we tend to kind of put the Holy Holy Spirit in a, in a small group somewhere or stick them in a back closet somewhere. And we say, well, we do a lot better job at service than the Holy Spirit does. We do a lot better job of leading worship. We do a lot better job of preaching and ministering to people than the Holy Spirit does. So we've eliminated in all of our efforts to make people comfortable, we've eliminated the comforter, right? How many know you only need the comforter? whenever you're uncomfortable. And sometimes that tension that God brings into our life through the presence of the Holy Spirit is good for us because he's growing us and he's grooming us and he's bringing into, us into something new. How many know that God wants to bring you, no matter where you're at in your life, into something new? That you may be satisfied with your walk with Jesus, but he's not. He wants more of your life. Come on, he's, he's satisfied that you belong to him, but he, he has so much more that he wants to reveal to you. So that's what we're going to be talking about in this series about developing a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And we're talking about rivers because of what you'll understand that here in just a few moments. I, I want to take you to John uh, chapter 7, which will be our text. We're going to dig in two, di two different texts today, which will probably be referenced many times throughout this series. Somebody said, well, how long is this series going to be? We don't really know. We're just trying to be a little bit more flexible with the Lord and be flexible with the Holy Spirit. We're not trying to be so scripted, right? Because how many know sometimes we'll script the Holy Spirit right out of our life if we're not careful? Even our church services, sometimes we'll script the Holy Spirit out. We need to create a little bit more margin. So that's what we're doing with this. I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a poor planner. Uh, some of y'all know that. I, I'm I like de I like to be to know what I'm doing and be specific in all those things. But if I'm not careful, sometimes it'll be all Josh Brown and no Holy Spirit. So I want to make sure that I, I that I'm leaving room for margin, right? All right. So Jesus is is gonna we're gonna talk about what Jesus where Jesus is at in John chapter six. But I want to give you a little background. John chapter six. There's an event going on called the feast 
of tabernacles. You might call it like a festival of tabernacles because in our understanding, you think about these festivals that people go out to the desert or they go out to this field somewhere and they have music and there's speakers and there's loud music and there's this party electric atmosphere for days, right? We all, we're all familiar with festivals. Well, well, we didn't come up with that. I mean, th- those things were around long before our culture adopted those things. And one of the biggest feasts, probably, in fact, probably the most celebrated of feast of all nations is actually the feast of tabernacles. Uh, Sometimes it was called Sukkot. And what that was is it was a Jewish celebration remembering the children of Israel whenever they were going through the 40 years in the wilderness. You guys remember that? So the children of Israel, God told Moses, go let my people go. And then they went. They were going into the promised land. A trip that was only supposed to take a couple of weeks ended up taking 40 years. But during that time, God provided for them. God created a lot of miracles. There was was a, a miracle where, where the people were thirsty and they were complaining to Moses, we're so thirsty, we're so thirsty. And Moses, Moses, Moses said, God, what am I supposed to do with all this complaining and all these people are frustrated? He said, what am I supposed to do? He said, see that rock over there? He said, yes. He said, I want you to take that stick and hit the rock and water will come out. So that's what happened. Moses strikes the rock, the water comes out, the people celebrate, their shoes didn't wear out. I mean, all these crazy miracles that are happening, God provides them supernaturally, supernatural food every single day. They experienced a lot of miracles. So the Feast of Tabernacles is is to remember, it's a celebration to remember what God did in the wilderness, it was eight days. It started on the Sabbath and ended on the Sabbath, and it was one of the one of the few times that all the nations of the world could come together and celebrate Yahweh. Isn't that crazy? So, so you have people from different nations coming in to work to to celebrate the what the Lord did for the children of Israel. And so what they did is they they brought tents, these little booths, sometimes it was called the, the Feast of Booths, and they would set up these little tents all around the city, right? They didn't have hotels like we do, and so they would all set up their little tents all around the city, and those tents were to remind the people that, remember when we were in the desert for 40 years, we lived in tents. In fact, God dealt, dwelt in a tent as well, so they called it the Feast of Tabernacles. Remember, God went around and then God spoke to David, or David spoke to God, and he said, here I am in a palace, and God, you're still in a tent. And it was God seated in David's heart to build, build the temple. And so, but before that, it was just a tabernacle. And so all these things are celebrating the history of Israel. Now, this was not just like a, a solemn kind of assembly where people were like, oh, yeah, we thank you, God. We're just so patient. In fact, this was, this was known to be the most celebrated of feasts. It was, it was an electric environment. In fact, some historians have, have wrote that you had to be there to even describe the kind of joy that was on the people. In fact, we see this in the New Testament where it says the Holy Spirit, it says is joy unspeakable and full of glory. And so the Feast of Tabernacles, I believe, is really speaking, and you'll see in in just a minute, of the Holy Spirit, of the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so we see that these people, they didn't have words or language for the amount of joy that was being expressed. I mean, it was loud music. They didn't have PAs and stuff like we have now. But I mean, it was loud. It was rowdy. People were celebrating. It's this huge, and it's around September, October. So they're all celebrating their harvest. It's harvest time. I mean, it is a crazy party going on. Now, one of the things that happened during the Feast of Tabernacles is that the priest would go to the temple, and underneath the temple, they would create these pools. Now, they didn't have water systems like we do now, and so they would dig these pools that would be fed by rivers. 
tracking? And so underneath the temple, they had a pool. And the, and the priest would go and he, with a flask and get some of the water out of that temple, out of that temple pool, and go back, and he would pour the water on a rock. And they did this, like, water ceremony. It was kind of like a drink offering, and they would celebrate, and all the people party. They did this every day, except for the last days. They would pour the water on there. They're like, yeah, God sent rain. We remember the rock and water coming out of the rock, so we're pouring water on the rock. So they're celebrating all this all this kind of thing. And on the last day, the very last day on the Feast of Tabernacles, they would spend their time in celebration asking God for it to rain for the next year. So this is this is this buildup, this big environment. I don't know we spent a lot of time on that, but this huge party with all this symbolism and all this crazy stuff going on. And it says in John chapter 7, verse 37, on the last day, the climax, the biggest, most celebrated day of the most celebrated event, probably the biggest moment of the year, Jesus stands up. Now, Jesus has already been kind of causing trouble all week. He was one of the conference speakers, if you will. And Jesus stands up as the people are praying for rain. And this is what he says. With a loud voice, he shouted. He wasn't like, okay, guys, listen. Um, I know it's kind of loud. Could, could you be kind of quiet in the back? No, no, no. It says that Jesus stood up and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty, anyone, not just Jews, but all you Gentiles out there, come on, all you people from Asia, all of y'all that are here, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. Now he's shouting. You say, why are you shouting? Because this is what Jesus was doing. Anyone can come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. It's all the people like, whoa, he's declaring these scriptures. He's fulfilling the prophecy. And then verse 39 says, when he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit. He was speaking of the Spirit. Jesus was saying, come to me and get the Spirit. Are you tracking? Come to me and get the Spirit, who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into glory. Now, if you know the story, Jesus dies. He's resurrected. He tells the disciples he's all throughout his ministry, he's like, you're going to do what I've been doing. I'm going to go to the Father. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. And we see this in the book of Acts, that after Jesus ascends into heaven, the disciples are praying. God sends the Holy Spirit down, come on the river, pours the river in and through the people, and they start doing what Jesus did. Right? Now, that hadn't happened yet. So that's why it says it right here. It says, that has not happened yet. And then it says, verse 40 When the crowd heard him say this, some of them declared, surely this man is the prophet we've been expecting. Surely he's the Messiah. Still others said, but he can't be. The Messiah will come from Galilee, (laughs) which he did. For the scriptures clearly state the Messiah will be born from the royal line of David, which he was, in Bethlehem, which he was, the village where King David is born. So the crowd, check this out. So the crowd was divided about him. How many know that the crowd is still divided about Jesus? We talked a little bit about this last week. People love to tweet Jesus. Come on, people like to quote Jesus. People are fans of Jesus, 
right? But how many know the crowd is divided on the identity of Jesus? Jesus shows up and he's like, I am the Messiah. I'm God in the flesh. Here I am. If you come to me and drink, I'm going to put a river in you. And the crowd was divided about him. So what is Jesus showing us? When Jesus says this, what is he showing us? So first of all, Jesus is saying, I am the rock. He's saying, you guys remember the rock that, that was it? Yeah, I mean, that's part of the reason why you're here, right? You know the rock? I'm the rock. I'm the rock that water pours out of. And if you come up to me, to the rock, you're going to get some of the water that comes out of the rock if you will come to me. I am the rock for your survival. I am the rock that will provide quenching for your thirst. I am the rock of revival. The second thing that Jesus says or is saying or showing us in this text is that the rain is coming. Because that's what they're praying, right? They're all praying, Lord, send your rain, send your rain. And Jesus is like, hey, come to me. I'll do better than rain. I'll take you from the thing that falls to the thing that flows. And many times, this is what we want. We want Jesus to do something. We want blessing to fall. We want Jesus to come on us or come over us and just something that we have no control over. But Jesus is saying, listen, I'm taking you out of the place to where you trust what falls and bringing you to the place of empowerment to where what you need to be fruitful will come from out of you. And many times we are pursuing things in places and asking God to do things. And he's like, I've already provided the answer. In fact, the answer is inside of you. Will you function with the answer? You're praying for rain, but your blessing is standing in front of you. And the third thing that Jesus shows us, which is exactly that, it will flow from within you. How many know that when we drink of Jesus... The river takes over. Say that with me. When we drink of Jesus, the river takes over. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. And Jesus was calling out. This is what he was calling. First of all, whosoever. Whoever is thirsty. I don't know about you, but I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. You say, I, I thought you knew Jesus. I do, but I'm still thirsty. Are you still thirsty? Did you quit drinking from Jesus? Did you, did you get enough? Are you satisfied? Are you content with what you've had? Or do you want more? See, Jesus is saying, whoever drinks of me, whoever drinks of me, whoever believes, the whosoever. Again, this is a place full of people from all nations. There were a lot of things that were dividing the people. Come on, their culture was dividing them. Their language was dividing them. Their tribes were dividing them. However, there was a united group of people, a united group of people that were thirsty, that came to drink those that believed in Jesus. Those were the united ones. See, Jesus is either a great divider or a great uniter. And the decider, <laughs> come on, the decider is where we Answer the proper question to who do you say he is? Who do you say Jesus is? And this will divide or unite. Today, in this moment, there would have been 
Anglos, Latinos, black people, Asian people, Middle Eastern people. Come on, people from different nations. All there. There were Romans, which were enemies. There were Jews. There were Asians. All the people groups that could travel were there. And today is the same. It's the same invitation. There were immigrants there. There were illegal immigrants there. There were people that weren't supposed to be there. And guess what Jesus said? Whoever wants to drink, come on in. It's not about politics. Come on, it's not about the things that divide. It's about the man, Jesus, will you drink? Do you want to drink? Are you thirsty is the question. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? See, we're unified because we're thirsty and we've come to drink. And and it's interesting that, that at this moment, the crowd was divided by those who believed in Jesus and those that didn't. And we see another powerful thing about unity in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. It says this, they were all together in one place. What happened? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's when the Holy Spirit initially came and invaded the earth was in Acts chapter 2. What were they doing? They were united. They were together. They were in community. They were praying together. What happened? The Holy Spirit fell because they were together. They were focused. They believed the same thing about Jesus. They were embracing the Holy Spirit. And they tapped into that well, and they started seeing exactly what Jesus prophesied. If you come to me, rivers will pour out, and we see it. We see it in the book of Acts. The river is pouring out. It's pouring out not just out of one man, but out of the entire church. Listen, beloved, we can pray all day, God, do something in our nation. God, do something in our nation. And he does. But guess what he's saying? Church, do something in your nation. Do something in your nation. The river is in you. Will you let the river out? Because when we, can't, when we drank of Jesus, the river took over. So this is what he says, whoever, whoever you are, come to him. Are you thirsty? And he tells, he gives us the second mandate. If you're thirsty, believe. If you're thirsty, come. If you're thirsty, drink. And this is what happens to those that drink. Remember, what does he say? Out of your heart will flow rivers. If you drink, you won't just get satisfied. You'll be transformed, and you'll become a river maker. Right? And we think, oh, I just want to drink from the river. He doesn't want you to just drink from the river. Because when we drink of Jesus, the river takes over. The same river that was in Jesus. You know, in Acts chapter 10 it says this about Jesus, is how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is the same thing that we can experience if we come to Jesus, we can be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And this is what he says, if you come to me and drink, this is what will happen. That word, I don't like the translation, verse 37 there, or 38, out of your heart, will flow rivers of living water. How many of your translations says out of your heart? Some translations says, older translations say, out of your belly. I like that better. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Other translations say, out of your inmost being. Out of your soul, out of, out of the core of who you are will flow rivers. But the word in the Greek is this word koilia. And koilia 
doesn't mean heart. Kolia doesn't even mean utmost be or the utmost of your being or your, your entirety, your soul, your core. The word is the same word that we use in the New Testament in the Greek for womb. Jesus says, out of your womb will flow rivers of living water. If you come to me, I will impregnate you with a river. You say, well, I don't have a womb. Well, you got to, if you're a man, you got to be born again to have a womb, right? Maybe that's why the translators didn't use the word womb, because men would be like, well, count me out, (laughs) right? Uh, Two years ago, God spoke to us on a Saturday night. We were praying, you should come to the furnace. It's the most important ministry we have in our church because we minister to the Lord for an hour every week. And we're praying. There was a, a woman in our church that had a miscarriage, and Leslie was up here, and she was praying. And God spoke to me. and standing right back there. And God spoke to me, and he said, Overflow Church is going to become the house of the open womb. And that was in the natural, the open womb of the natural that God was in. Within nine months, we saw tons of babies in our church. We saw some that come in that weren't pregnant, that weren't part of our church that were pregnant during that time, and then we saw about six or seven women get pregnant. And you guys know how small our church is. That's a lot of people for a church our size. Well, right now, we're in the midst of the second wave of that. And I believe the second wave is not just speaking in the natural. First comes the natural, then comes the spirit. I believe that's speaking of the spirit. Because God wasn't just saying at that moment, I'm going to open the physical wombs. God was saying, I'm going to open the spiritual wombs because out of your womb will flow rivers of living water. Just tap your belly and say, flow. Say, river flow. River flow. When we drink from Jesus, the river takes over. Just as a woman would carry a child, the church carries the move of God. You carry the move of God. You want God to move? Open your womb. The result isn't simply satisfaction, but participation. We think we come to Jesus so I can be satisfied. Yes, you get satisfied. But some of you aren't satisfied because you haven't participated. Because you've approached Jesus like a consumer. Come to me and drink. Count me. But hold on, because when you drink, I'm going to change you. I'm going to change your DNA. You're going to stop being someone who's just thirsty and drinks. You're going to be someone that produces rivers from your womb. The result isn't simply satisfaction, but participation. I mean, the spirit, Jesus says in John chapter 3, spirit gives birth to spirit. Spirit gives birth to spirit. Listen, that same water that was pouring out of Jesus is pouring out of you. It refreshes and replenishes your life. When we drink of Jesus, the river takes over. What does that river look like? What is it? What is this river? Ezekiel chapter 47 Now, it's believed by many people, many historians, many theologians believe that during the Feast of Tabernacles, Ezekiel chapter 47 was one of the passages that was prayed and declared. I believe it to be so, and you're going to see how it all ties together. This is what Ezekiel says. It says, in my vision, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. 
There I saw a stream flowing east from beneath the door of the temple and passing to the right of the altar on its south side. The man brought me outside the wall through the north gateway and led me around the eastern entrance. There I could see the water flowing out throughout the south side of the east gate. Measuring as he went, he took me along the stream for 1,750 feet. That's a cubit. Some translations say a cubit. 1,750 feet, and then he led me across the water, and it was up to my ankles. Everybody say, up to my ankles. Then he measured another 1,750 feet and led me across again. This time the water was up to my knees. Everyone say, up to my knees. After another 1,750 feet, along the way, as I got a little further, it was up to my waist. Everybody say, up to my waist. Then he measured another 1,750 feet, and the river was too deep to walk across. It was deep enough to swim in, but too deep to walk through. So here he goes. As, the, as he goes further down the river, the river gets deeper. For most people that I've known, as they've gone further in the river, the river's gotten more shallow. But that's not glory to glory. Glory to glory means the river gets deeper the further you go. See, you're supposed to get deeper as you get into the river. And it may, you might be at your ankles right now. That's great, but it won't be great in 3,000 feet. It'll be great for a little while, but eventually you need to go a little deeper. Beloved, are you going a little deeper? Or have you gotten satisfied with ankle-deep waters? Have you gotten satisfied with knee-deep waters? Have you gotten satisfied with waist-deep waters? Beloved, I am not satisfied until I'm swept up. And I have to swim to survive the river of God. He asked me, have you been watching? Have you been paying attention, son of man? Then he led me back to the riverbank. We got out of the water. Whew. Have you ever tried to swim in a river before? Have you? Not, not very easy. You can swim with the current, but it's pretty hard to swim against the current. Oh, that'll preach. When I returned, I was surprised by the sight of many trees growing on both sides of the river. Then he said to me, the river flows east through the desert into the Dead Sea. Everybody say Dead Sea. The river of the stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. There will be swarms of living things wherever the water of this river flows. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea, for its waters will become fresh. Now, let, let me explain something to you about the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is the lowest place on the earth. The Dead Sea is the lowest place on the earth. There is so, it's the saltiest sea on the earth. There's so much salt content on the Dead Sea that you can't even swim if you float on top of it. It cannot sustain life inside the Dead Sea. There's no fish. There's nothing living in the Dead Sea because the salt content is too high. That's why it's called the Dead Sea. Because living things go there. You put a fish in the Dead Sea, it dies. So this is saying when this water from the temple gets to the Dead Sea and touches the Dead Sea, it changes the sea. It takes the water from being salty to being fresh. Why are you so salty? Are you feeling low? Are you at a low place in your life? Are you at a dead place in your life? Are you not producing life? Are you 
feeling like you're dead or you're as good as dead or you wish you were dead. Beloved, there is a river that flows from the temple of God that wants to flow in you and through you to take the dead places and make them alive. They're ready to take the dead places and make them alive. It's ready to take the fruitless places and make them fruitful. Will you get in the river? Will you let the river touch your life? I know you've got those places that you haven't let God get into yet. He wants to get there. He wants to rot, revive those spots. I, I know you're bitter. I know you've been, been carrying on to that for a long time. But he wants to get in there. Would you let the river flow? Life will flourish wherever the water flows. Fishermen will stand on the edge. Fish of every kind. They'll be filled just like the Mediterranean. Verse 12, fruit trees of all kinds will grow along both sides of the river. The leaves of these trees will never turn brown. What's that saying? That's saying the trees will know no seasons. There won't be spring and fall. It'll be steady, producing year-round. They will always bear fruit, always bear fruit on their branches. See, some of you have been living season to season. You're fruitful for a little while. And then winter comes. You're fruitful for a little while. Then summer comes and dries you out. Listen, beloved. Stay by the river. And you'll always be fruitful. There will be a new crop every month. Every month. You know, God's got something new for you all the time. But are you going out? Are you searching? God, what do you want to show me this month? God, what do you want to show me this day? What do you have, Lord? I know that there's fruit today. I know that there's fruit in this season. There will be a new crop every month. And they are watered not by the rain that falls, but by the river that flows from the temple Check this out. The fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. This is what revival is. Your needs will be taken care of. You'll have fruit for food. And your leaves will provide healing. And not just healing for you, but the healing for the nations. The healings for your coworkers. The healing for your family. It's in you because you're connected to the river so what? What do we do with this? That's great, Pastor. Thanks for teaching me that. So what now? Come and drink. Come and drink. Because when you drink of Jesus, the river takes over. Are you thirsty? Are you dry? Are you in a low place? Are you salty? Are you lifeless? Are you unfruitful? Are you a dead sea, can't produce, can't bear fruit, can't provide shade? Come and drink. Come and drink. David says it in Psalms 63. He says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, and then early I will seek you. One translation says earnestly. My soul, my womb longs for you. My flesh longs for you. Even my flesh longs. 
Everything in me longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. You guys know what the ground looks like when it hasn't received water? Have you seen a desert plain and the, the ground is parched? It's cracked. It's busting open. It had it remnants. It, it rained one time there, but now it's all dried up. Now nothing will grow there because no water can get in. But this is saying, God, I'm just like that land. I'm thirsty like that parched land, that land that's just opened up. Lord, would you, would you do something? And he says this, so I've looked for you in the sanctuary. I've looked for you in the place where the river flows to see your power and your glory. So come and drink. Come and drink. Number two, get in the river. Get in the river. Where are you at in the river? Well, I asked Jesus to come into my heart. Awesome. It's a great place to start. What now? Well, I'm reading my Bible and praying. Awesome. What now? Where are you at? Are you ankle deep? Are you knee deep? Are you waist deep? Are you neck deep? How deep are you in this river? I don't know. If you're ankle deep, awesome. It's a great place to be. But are you going to be there in a month? Are you going to be there in a year? Have you been there for 10 years? Have you been there for six months? Does your life look like it looked like a year ago? Get in the river. Because it shouldn't. Because you should be producing more. Do your convictions look like they looked a year ago? Or are you still dabbling in sin like you were a year ago? Are you still playing games? Or are you in the river? Beloved, I want to get swept up. I want to get caught up. I want to be too caught up in Jesus. I want to be accused of that. Bring it on. Bring on the accusations because I'm going to bring life wherever I go. And everywhere the river touches, you're going to see life. But it's not going to happen because I'm ankle deep. Get in the river, wherever it is. I, I remember when I first stepped in the river. It was 1993. And our church, man, you got to understand, church was way different back then. We didn't have awesome music like we do now. We had these things called cassette tapes. They sounded terrible. And the music was super cheesy. Super cheesy. If you heard it, you would laugh. We would laugh. You can listen to some old songs after service and laugh about how cheesy they were. But let me tell you what they did have. They didn't have production, but they had power. And I think, I think many times in many contexts, we've exchanged production for power. I'm not going to do that. I want the power of God. Do I want the production? Sure. But I want power first, presence first. You've got to have presence before you can have power. You've got to have the person before you can have the presence. You've got to have presence before you can have the power. Production, whatever. I love that. You know that about me. I, I love that stuff. I remember going into church. Man, we had to make phone calls. We wanted to communicate something. You had to call. We got things in the mail. Y'all know what mail is? It's this paper that comes, stuff called paper, and it comes to you. Someone, like, wrote on it. We get stuff in the mail to tell us about church events. No social, I mean, no connection. We do so much less with so much more nowadays. And I remember walking into that church when I was 16 years old. It took two years to get a hold, God to get a hold of me. But I, there's one thing that I couldn't resist during those two years or that I, that I couldn't deny. And that was, God was in that place. 
And I remember showing up, man, going, God, no, I'm not even going to give my life to God because I'm not willing to surrender. I remember for two years going, and I remember the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit there singing these, what we would look at as corny songs now, but God was there. And I remember just singing these simple courses. It seemed like for hours. I remember, I remember the, the music would just play and the band would stop singing and just, just hums from, from, a, from an old piano or an organ or maybe a guitar or something, some drums kind of going in the background. I remember people just, just singing out in tongues and singing in another language. And it wasn't out of order. It was all, it was all beautiful and harmonious. And it was just people would just sing for, it would seem like hours. And I just remembered like God would get a hold of my heart. And he's like, well, just respond to me, son. God, just draw me. I remember it was dear that time that God transformed my heart. I love those experiences. I remember when we moved to El Paso and we, we had a, a student ministry there, man. We'd do conferences and we'd have times and we'd have nights that we'd just devote to the Lord. I remember the Holy Spirit just falling. I remember the Holy Spirit being so heavy and rich. Sometimes you just had to get on the floor and lay down because His presence was so thick. It didn't always sound real pretty. I just remember God was rich in that place. It wasn't about being cool. It wasn't about being tweetable. It was just about the presence. And we've had some moments in Overflow Church, man. We've had some, some powerful services. We, we've seen God do some incredible miracles. But I'm not content. I want a move of God. I want something where we don't have to, like, paint everything right. And, you know, we're going to do all that. We're going to do all that. We're going to do the, everything we can, the, the very best that we can. We're going we're gonna to put our efforts there. But, but I, am, I want people to have an encounter with Jesus. This is, why this, is, this is what we talk about. We want people to encounter Jesus, not just have a good church experience where they feel like home. I love that. I love that you feel at home here. I love that you keep coming back. But, uh, but I'm not content with that. I want to see you encounter the Lord in such a real way that it, tra- that it wrecks your life. That your life's totally transformed. Not because you came to a great church, but because you got in a deep river. And the river transformed your life. Beloved, this is what we're after. We are after a move of the Holy Ghost. We have all a, a nation that's full of drama. Oh, we can just have this political system or we can vote for this candidate. None of that will change America. The only thing that will change America is the river of God, and it's in you, and it's in me. And we've got to open our womb and allow the river to flow, to let the river flow. I'm ready to see a move of God, not just in this church, but in this city. Not just in Grand Prairie, but around the Metroplex. And I know there's little pockets, and I'm ready to see those, those rivers just start running together. We want to move of God. We want to move on the Holy Spirit. We need revival. When we drink of Jesus, the river takes over. Are you drinking of Jesus? Or have you been satisfied from other wells? Have you been drinking from other fountains? Because you don't just get, you get satisfaction, yes. But you get so much more than that.